Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Death and hatred to Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you're looking for scintillating radio, turn over to a music station or a religious station. If you want some uh, hard work, you want to think, you want to look at issues from each and every angle, well, keep listening to the anarchist world this week. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, from the uh, it comes from the Greek anarchos, which means without rulers, a society without rulers. What's the central issue? What gives rulers powers? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is about improving people's lives. That's right. Improving people's lives through holding wealth in common and sharing wealth. And it's also about creating a society without hierarchy, where power is devolved, where people make decisions, elect or appoint delegates to go those decisions at a local, regional, national level. And if you think this is a little bit uh, airy-fairy, it ain't airy-fairy. Look at the world around us. Look at all the issues that face us on a day-to-day basis. Look at what's happening around the world, including this country. What happens when you centralise power in the hands of a few people and uh, you can see the uh, consequences, whether these leaders are elected in elections or whether they're self-appointed through the gun. In many regards, the centralisation of power uh, causes the same issue, where a small minority utilise the resources of society, the people in, the, in, the, in their particular community, to entrench their power and enrich themselves and their allies and friends and families. It's the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, it's been a fascinating a week. Well, every week is fascinating when you're my age, because every day is fascinating, because it's a little bit like looking at a uh, hourglass. You know, when you first turn the hourglass, it looks like it's going to take hours, days, weeks, generations for that sand to come through that hole. But when you get to the last 20 or 30%, it's pouring down that hole. And obviously we all have a responsibility to those coming after us. And that responsibility means sharing our experiences and what we've learnt during that period. Because the main issue, the main problem for society that doesn't recognise its history is the fact that we continue to repeat the same mistakes ad nauseum. And the role of an activist, especially an older activist, is to actually highlight that background, highlight that history, highlight previous struggles in order to 
ensure that we don't walk down or run down or push down the same political, social, cultural cul-de-sacs which uh, lead us nowhere. All right. Let's look at a few things. I mean, the unpalatable truth. Truth. Well, it's a debatable, isn't it? It's debatable. Look, my truth is not based on belief. I mean, anybody who bases truth on a belief system needs to understand that all they are doing is shifting the facts and bending the facts to promote and support their belief system. Now, you may believe in a God, and I don't particularly care whether you believe in a God or not, or a whole range of gods. But what I do care about is when people give power to intermediaries between them and their gods or God and and allow them to dictate that relationship with their God. And what I care about is that in a country like Australia, 20, was it 25, 26 million people on the continent, that over the last 40 years we've created so many issues and so many problems. Not that. The past was some type of a glorious, you know, perfect past. It wasn't. There have been periods in this society with the inequalities which we face today, the growing inequalities in our society, we're not there. So truth and facts. Truth and facts. I mean, fake news is nothing different, nothing new. It's been going on for generations, thousands of years. Just look at the propaganda put out by the Egyptians when they, uh, you know, uh, conquered the Nubians. Now, let's look at our situation today. Australia 2019. 25 million people on the continent. About 80% stuck in five major cities. Around a uh, fertile coastal strip. You know, drive or walk of, you know, 20, 30, 40 kilometres into Australia and um, in many cases you find yourself in utter, utter physical desolation. So let's look at it. Currently, about 25 million, I'm talking about babies, men, women, children, 2 million are unemployed or underemployed. That's 2 million of a working population of around 12 million. It's about 15% of Australians who want to work, who want to be part of the uh, economy, are either unemployed or underemployed. And 3 million live under the poverty line. And 16% of children 
in this country live under the poverty line. And if you look at all the private organisations, non-government organisations being established in this country to deal, in inverted commas, with the situation, you begin to see what a growth industry it has become. Now, if I sat you at a table, let's do something really, really interesting. You know those long lunches they have, those long tables? They've actually never been to one because they're usually pretty expensive. But I remember in the old days, you know, uh, in the 50s and 60s when I was a, a little bit of a, a bit younger, you'd kind of go to a family picnic and everybody would be there and there's this long table. And everybody would sit at the long table and share the food that everybody else had bought and that you'd bought. You wouldn't, you didn't go to the uh, takeaway to bring some takeaway mash to the table. You'd, you know, you'd cook some stuff and bring it to the table. It's the bring drinks to the table. Let's put the 25 million Australians on a table. But let's do what we very good at it. Let's segregate these 25 million Australians because we're very good at segregation. I'll go. I'll talk about segregation, not in terms of just race, but in terms of income. At one end of the table, we'll put about ooh, 5 million Australians. And at the other end of the table, we'll put another 5 million Australians. And the rest of us, will make up the space. The other 15 million will make up the space between the ends of the table. Now, at the top end of the table, the people feasting there have 100 times more goodies than the... 5 million sitting at the other end of the table. That's right. That's the income distribution difference we now have in the land of Oz, the land of opportunity, in 2019. At one end of the table, we have people have 100 times more food beverage, power, influence than the other five million sitting at the other end of the table. And the rest of us are kind of strung in between. You know, I'm one of these people strung in between. I assume many of our listeners are at the uh, end of the table where you've you've only got one hundredth of what the other end. And the other end, there's not many people from the other end listening to this program, I can assure you, the anarchist world this week. So that's the reality. For example, kiddies go to school this week. Weepy-doo, I can hear you all cry out. But in most most states in this country where we have so-called three education, a parent or parents, carers of children will have to fork out about $5,000 out of their pockets per year to access what is supposedly a three public education system. 
just for the basics, you know, a computer, tablet, money to go away on camps, extra things. So if you've got six kids, that's 30 grand. So if you've got six kids and you're on social security benefits, ain't much left after you've paid your uh, school fees. And I'm not talking about private school fees. I'm talking about at least 60 to 65% of children who will be attending public school this week. So you can see that there's something not quite right in the land of opportunity. Not quite right. Segregation. Now, I do remember when I went to school, I mean, it wasn't easy. It was a bit tough, especially if you came from somewhere else. But at least we all wallowed in the same mire. Today, we have a situation where we have a public health sector sorry, a public education sector which provides a basic, basic standard of education to about 65% of children in this country. And the other 35% go to a host of private schools, some rich, some poor, some extraordinarily well-off. And when you look at the figures regarding people being integrated in society, you begin to understand that we have an extremely segregated education sector where we are now creating a society where one group of people, that 20%, that 5 million sitting at one end of the table, will never in their lives have any interaction at any level except maybe at an employer-employee phase at some stage of another segment of Australian society. Now, this segregation is not just based on language or where you're born gender orientation, sexual preference, racial identity, cultural background, although that does have an impact, but it's based on income. It's based on whether you are sitting at that end of the table that has has 100 times more goodies and rights and liberties and privileges than those five million people sitting at the other end of the table who've got one hundredth of that opportunity. So it's not just a matter of physical goodies, not just a matter of material goods. It's a matter of opportunity. It's a matter of being able to ascend the social escalator. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I was told a few weeks ago 
that's Sudan, a relatively impoverished country where people are protesting about the uh, situation they find themselves in under their current uh, dictator for life, Mr Bashir, they have free tertiary education. And we got rid of free tertiary education four decades ago or three and a half decades ago. Because this segregation, which has occurred in society, is beginning to cause, and it is causing, major social chasms. Chasms that younger people will never be able to jump across. At the other end of the table, where people are getting, you know, 1% of the uh, opportunities and goodies of life, we have this constant warfare where people point at each other and say, I'm in this situation because of you, because of your colour, because you wear a funny headdress, because you have a different religion, because you smell. You eat different foods. So there's constant battle at that bottom end of the table for survival. At the top end of the table, where they've got 100% more opportunity, 100, 100 times more, 100%, 100 times more opportunity and goodies and rights and privileges, what holds them together, irrespective of their gender or orientation, gender orientation, sexuality, race, religion, is the fact they got cash, the fact they got assets, the fact they got property, the fact they can do the best possible for the children, although there may be a little bit of friction the friction at the top end of the table is minimal compared to the friction which occurs at the other end of the table. I won't use top or bottom, but other end of the table where people are trying to survive and seeing job opportunities disappear as people fight, you know, for a bit of a bit of cash and a bit of thing. So it is a depressing situation. In 2019, now I'm over 65, and if somebody told me when I was a wild-eyed radical in my light teens that in 2019, 50 years later, I would actually be involved in struggles to maintain fragments, remnants of the things we fought for, for the rest of the community and ourselves, I would laugh at people. I would say, oh, God, don't be ridiculous. We're never going to slide backwards. 
But over the past 40 years, we have been victims of an ideological battle, not just in this country but around the world. An ideological battle which has seen much-needed reforms that have been won by blood, sweat and tears being swept away in an orgy of legislation which has promoted deregulation, which is a fancy word for saying, remove the rules that have been applied to protect people and their livelihoods so that a smaller section of society can make bigger profits. That's it. Deregulation. Very simple. Obviously there are regulations to there a waste of time. But many regulations were put in place to protect people's working conditions, to ensure there were a basic minimum wage, to ensure that people had the right to remove their labour as a bargaining tactic in that perennial battle between employer and employee. And what we've seen in the last 40 years, 40 plus years, is the removal of regulation after regulation after regulation, which now allows large corporations, whether they're financially based, whether they provide a service, whether they provide you know, access to a basic necessity, do what they like to maximise return to their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. And we say, hooray, hooray, hooray. Isn't it wonderful? All those, pri- all those public assets have now become part of the private sector. And that's the other dirty word, privatisation. We have a Premier of Victoria rail against privatised energy providers, the very same people who were responsible to privatise the whole system, you begin to realise that maybe, maybe all that struggle in the 19th century in the first half of the 20th century where governments were forced to provide basic necessities to the population where they were forced to create public entities to provide those basic necessities like power, security. And now they've all been handed over, lock, stock and barrel, not because of economic economic uh, reasons, but in order to maximise profits to private corporations who didn't want to struggle, didn't want to compete against a public sector which was providing a much-needed service to the community. Now, I can go on and on, but you know this. Unfortunately, most Australians don't know this. When you see the Herald Scum, one of Murdoch's rags, major rags in Australia, 
kind of promote race hatred in this country in its pages, promote vigilante activity, you begin to understand that this divide and rule mentality which is the essence of being in this country today is such an important tactics that those five million at one end of the table use to marginalise and exclude not only the five other million at the other end of the table but everybody in between. Because while we rail against the other, the cash registers, they don't have cash registers anymore, the transfer, you know, the transfers, the automatic transfers continue ad nauseum. And we see those people with assets continue to enjoy government protection while those at the other end of the table are ostracised, marginalised, humiliated constantly in what is supposed to be a mass media. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, before I um, continue, I'd just like to... uh, encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests. We've now got a uh, new web page, a nice, fancy 21st century web page. Go to pibci.net. You can actually download the application form. See what's happening now. Every week I'm doing a YouTube presentation. Just put on your YouTube uh, Thing. Um, public interest before corporate interest. I know it's five words. I know it's big, but that's what we're about. We're about putting the interests of the many before the interests of the few. Put public interest before corporate interest. Hey, presto, there's a YouTube presentation. You can go to the Twitter stream, pibci, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. And hopefully in the next few months we'll have our uh, Facebook page uh, really roaring. So... Why public interest before corporate interest? It's very simple. Because the solutions are political. The solutions to the current situation are political. They're not social. They're not cultural. They're not issue-orientated. They are political. And public interest before corporate interest has been created, one, to act in the political realm, to act in the parliamentary democracy enclave, and also to act outside that parliamentary democracy enclave. And nothing highlights this than our current campaign to make public housing everybody's business. And if you live in Melbourne from Wednesday, the 6th of February... We'll be gathering on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at 6am to 9am to highlight that if we use 
stamp duty revenue in Victoria and the rest of the country, and in Victoria it stands at around $6 billion for public housing, we can house 100,000 Victorians in public housing, which is spot purchased around the state, within a year. Every other state can do exactly the same thing. We can house a million Victorians and five million Australians in public housing. And why is housing so important? It is the base. It provides that security, not just in terms of physical security, but it finds that security in terms of people being able to form relationships, send their kids to the same schools, go to the same sporting clubs. And if you spot purchase houses around the country, it helps to overcome the segregation we are now seeing where people from one suburb will never, ever meet in their lives somebody from another suburb. Because it's this segregation, this chasm, which is developing our society, which is exceptionally dangerous. It's not only dangerous to the people who can't cross the chasm, but it's also dangerous for those who hold power and continue to hold that power despite what's happening in our society. And everybody thinks, oh, the central issue is this or the central issue is that. But as we saw with marriage equality, it can be quite easily incorporated into our current society and things change for those who can marry in terms of their relationship and their legal position. But in terms of their economic position, things don't change. It's the same with the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander struggle. There will be advances the next few years. There will be treaties. But will that make a major difference to the social outcomes? Because we kind of live in a little bit of a, a void, a parallel universe. We think that if we tackle the issues, that somehow, all these identity issues, that somehow life is going to change for the majority of people. Well, it's not going to change for the majority of people. Life changes for the majority of people when the economic relationships change when who exercises power change, when centralisation of power is broken down. And that's why I encourage people to look at public interest before corporate interest because it is an attempt. It's an attempt to change things. I mean, I can wax lyrical about a million subjects on this program for the next two million years and nothing's going to change unless you are willing to get involved and push for change because this fragmentation which is occurring in our community has major consequences for each and every one of us and our children and our grandchildren. I remember a, um, a group in South America that was part of the ruling class in this particular tribal situation. Well, I don't remember it. I learned about it. I'm not that old. And they used to use uh, wrappings around their children's head 
to create a pointed skull. And obviously, if you had a pointed skull, you were part of the ruling class and you were there because God, your God had ordained it. And look at the caste system in India. How power is kind of incorporated into a particular group because somehow their children are born in the same caste. And then you look at it in Australia where we have an unofficial caste system, not religiously based, but created by society, a caste system which fragments us, which separates us, which ensures that one group never interacts with another group, that the only way we learn about each other is through a distorted image which is pumped out by a legacy media and a social media which is basically there to ensure that the current power dynamics continue ad nauseum into eternity. It's our role as activists and anarchists to break down that hierarchy. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's look at the social security system. Since the beginning of the program, we need to understand our history. I'm going to concentrate on Victoria and Australia. Anybody who talks about the good old days has got rocks in their heads. At the end of the 19th century, Australia was facing a depression, quite a severe depression. And on the 15th of January, 1894, Frances Knorr, one of the last women executed in Victoria, was executed for baby farming. Baby farming. So let's look at the social situation, the cultural situation, the political situation. Remember, we had universal male suffrage in those days and people were still being elected to parliament ad nauseum. Around 10% of women in Melbourne at that particular point in time were forced to prostitute themselves in order to make ends meet. And in an era when there's minimal contraceptive methods, abortion and giving birth to unwanted children was a huge social issue. And in an era when there was no support, apart from a little bit of minimal charity from quasi-religious groups, who were interested in, in you know, saving your soul than actually in supporting people. What did you do if you had an unwanted child? In an era when orphanages were almost non-existent. You worked. You gave out the responsibility of, of, of your baby to somebody else. These were the baby farms and across, you know, across... Australia, there were baby farmers, women and men who take in small children 
and you'd pay them a weekly wage to look after that child. And if you died or you moved on, in many cases those children were murdered and buried in backyards. Now, Velda Goldstein, after, after the electorate of which Goldstein is named after, Velda was one of the foremost activists in this country in the 19th century. She built her reputation on giving public support to a young woman who threw her baby in the Yarra because of the exceptionally difficult situations during that period. And yet, during that period, we saw the women of Victoria pledge a shilling to the building of the first women's hospital in this country, the Queen Victoria Hospital in Melbourne, which was privatised and shut down by the Canadian Labor government in the 80s, 1980s. And it wasn't until the election of uh, the Whitlam Labor government in 1972 that single mothers were given social security benefits because it was believed before then that if you actually gave them money to look after their children, you would create, you would, uh, you'd be supporting immorality, a little bit like pill testing. At, you know, at uh, music festivals, that if you do something to minimise harm, well, you're actually promoting illegal drug use. Same mentality. And from the end of the 19th century up to the 1930s and 40s and 50s, men and women and children around this country fought for the introduction of measures to provide some type of social security net to assist people who found themselves in difficult situations, whether of their own making or not of their own making. Before, in the past, you had the deserving poor who received charity from the churches and philanthropists, and you had the undeserving poor who were left to die in their own fecal material. The introduction of a social security system ensured that everybody in society, in our society, had some mechanism via which to survive. It's no accident that it's called a social security system. It's a security system which assists each and everybody in the community. It assists the powerful. It assists the powerless. It assists the rich. It assists the poor. And the reason it assists them is that if the rich become poor, they can access the social security system and because the basic human needs of people who cannot enter the economic workforce, the capitalist, you know, uh, wage, drudgery, slavery uh, system, 
actually have their basic needs met and this decreases crime, instability, fragmentation within the community. It's a simple thing. It's a social security system. You want a secure society? You must ensure that everybody in that community has at least access to the basic necessities. So what we've seen in the last 40 years, because about 30 to 33, 35% of Australians rely on the social security system to survive. Many have worked all their lives in boring, menial, non-productive jobs and paid their bills and got to the end of their working lives before the introduction of, you know, super and even with the introduction of super and need assistance in order to survive in their old age. You've got many single parents who are there through no fault of their own, who've been involved in relationships that have broken down, who need some assistance. You've got many people who underemployed and unemployed Two million who find themselves in that situation because of the current economic system we have, which rewards people economically for their labour, not because they are part of society. There's no such thing as a basic income, universal income in this society. And if you can't get a job which pays you money, well, you're out on the out heap. And you've got people who were born or who acquire major intellectual, mental and physical disability during their lifetime, who need assistance, who will never be able to be part of the paid workforce. So what have we seen over the last 30 to 40 years? We have seen the degradation, the humiliation of that one-third of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. Not to go on overseas junkets, not to buy a home or a second home and get a tax deduction through negative gearing, not to get, you know, dividend imputations, which is, you know, money for holding shares by the government a government grant for holding shares, quite extraordinary. Not for all those things, but so they can survive. But what we see, we see this cacophony, this noise, this background noise, which is so loud we can't hear ourselves think, let alone speak about welfare cheats. Who have been the cheats that we've seen over the last 30 years? It's been the big institutions. We've seen with the Royal Commission banking and we will see with the Royal Commission to the aged care industry, the privatised aged care industry. We can see who the bloody cheats are. We have this you know, this great noise about welfare cheats that when you look at the number of people prosecuted and found guilty of rorting the system if they're on social security benefits, it's less than 0.1%. Less than 0.1%. It'd be nice if people in authority and business leaders and on boards, if they were prosecuted less than 0.1%. Then we hear about the dignity of work. What's so dignified about working 
been underpaid and working in a dirty job and been unappreciated and exploited. What dignity is there in that type of work? And many, many people in our society are running around on contracts, getting 5 or $6 an hour, trying to make ends meet, working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, for the dignity of work. There's no dignity in many, much work in our society. It's about exploitation. And then we have governments talking about intergenerational welfare dependency. You like that? And we hear people talking about welfare, 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 as if it's some horrible disease oozing through the population. We have these income cards where 80% of your income is frozen. The list goes on and on. It's as if the 33% of Australians, many of them sitting at the other end of the table, trying to make ends meet, as if they're not Australians, they're not part of us, they're not real, they're not citizens, they're not human beings. You go into any Centrelink office, you're a customer. A customer. You go to the waiting list, the privatised public housing waiting list in uh, Victoria where community housing and public housing and Aboriginal housing is all you know, pushed into one waiting list. You're a customer. Customer. We're all customers of the state. We're citizens with rights and responsibilities. Not when, if we're not citizens, we're permanent residents with rights and responsibilities. So for years... For years, we've been denigrating people in authority, prime ministers, ministers, cabinet ministers, parliamentarians, media moguls, so-called celebrities, you know, media personalities denigrating people who somehow are seen to be less than human because they're relying on social security benefits to survive. Nobody realising that if there was no social security system, the dislocation and anger and crime that we would see in this community would make 18th and 19th century London look like a picnic ground. So instead of celebrating what could be a magnificent system which ensures that everybody has some foothold, some stake in society, we denigrate it as a community. Continuously, day after day after day after day. And that's why language is so important in this political, social and cultural struggle. It's all about perception. And when we add social media to the equation, the so-called social media, an amplifier which is controlled by, you know, an exceptionally small number of people, an amplifier like Facebook, which is basically there to mine data off you so you can then be served with individual advertising which supposedly satisfy your needs and empty your pockets 
you begin to understand how this culture of division has become such a prominent aspect of our society today. And we, as people, and as a community, we need to break down this culture of division, this fragmentation that is occurring. It's not just a fragmentation occurring because of identity politics, but a fragmentation which is occurring because of the huge chasm which is now being created in this society by forces at a political level and a social level and a cultural level and a media level whose primary responsibility, whose only responsibility is to maximise profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national cost to the community. I mean... Living in Australia in January 2019 highlights how important climate change is as an issue. I mean, things are happening around this country that shouldn't be happening, that have happened, happened for a long time, which have never happened. And we continue to ignore them at a political level continue to ignore them in order to protect vested interests who make a buck out of increasing the parameters which cause climate change, not having the guts or the ability to actually say, look, we need to move in a different direction. And we see it every day. We see people tongue-tied, people in authority tongue-tied saying, oh, well, you know, it'll work out. Yep, it's always been like this. Nope, we don't need to change anything. Just let us get out of our way. Let us make a buck, okay? Get out of our way. Get rid of all those regulations. Open up the borders. You know, get rid of the tariffs. Get out of our way. We need to make a buck. Let's destroy the trade unions. Let's destroy people's rights to protest. Let's marginalise, humiliate the one-third of Australian social security benefits. Let's, you know, exploit all those people sitting at that table between the five million at one end and the five million at the other end, the other 15 million. Let's exploit their labour. Let's remove their capacity to organise. Let's let's encourage them to fight each other. Because while they fight each other, they'll, they'll be so busy punching each other senseless, they're going to not look at us. They're not going to look at us feast on that hundred times more opportunity than that other, are they? They'll just be fighting amongst themselves, and that's what we want. So it's not depressing. It's not depressing exceptionally positive but we need you to make changes I'm not talking just personally I mean you can talk the talk because well, I can talk the talk for 500 years and nothing's going to change we need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk in this society and I'm encouraging you to walk the walk you can join public interest before corporate interest you get involved in the activities which uh, I help organise over the years you can go to my uh, 
Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, T-O-S-C-A-N-O for the Public. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Yes, we still get letters, and if you've got any $1 stamps, please send them. We need them. We still communicate with stamps with a lot of people. You can go to our website, anarchistmedia.org, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to the um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube space, Twitter, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. You can stay at home, join the Wednesday Action Group, come along to the 6am protest, making housing a central issue in this society. We've got a stable housing system. It gives people opportunities that they require in order to survive. But again, talking the talk will not get us anywhere. We need to walk the walk. Talking the talk will help you get onto that pathway. Sometimes it'll work out and sometimes it won't. But at the end of the day, you can actually say to yourself, I did what I could. And when you have those grandkids on your knees, you're telling them about the realities of life, you can say, I tried to walk the walk, but I want you to take up that challenge. If there's one thing we need to remember... As the Gurindji struggle taught us, from little things, big things grow. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Twitter, Pibci, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U. Yes, I actually cleaned out the post office box yesterday. 21 letters. So, keep writing. I'll keep answering, hopefully. Post office box 20, Parkville 3052. It's nearly February. Get those walking shoes on. Walk the walk. Change your life. Change the life of the people around you. Change society. We've seen it around the world, people taking to their streets in their hundreds of thousands, whether it's Sudan, whether it's France, whether it's Australia. It's up to you. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, next week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org. Listen to The Anarchist World this week via your local community radio station next week on the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.